That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Just a Sip. Look, like many people, my life has been upside down, left, right, all over the place. And the only man I know to talk to about all things mental health, COVID-related, and what's going on in the world right now is the one and only Dr. Drew, everybody. What's going on? Something happened I don't know about? I just feel like everything is kind of sort of going to right now. Like, it's all catching up with us, is it not? The COVID of it all, the being alone, the being in a pandemic. Well, that's been going on for a while. The COVID of it all and and the loneliness have been going on for a while. Yeah. But don't you feel like people are hitting a boiling point right around now? They can taste the freedom ahead and they're having trouble with any any lockdown right now. I think so. Yep. You're a guy who goes on the road, who does TV shows, who does multiple projects a year to all of a sudden be home isolated and stuck with no offense with Susan. Whom yeah, I that's love been good. Her. That's been the good part. That's that's been the nice part. the The bad part has been uh, COVID stole my life. For, first, it stole everything I like doing. Uh, it canceled everything. We have, you know, my wife's birthday, and we had a thirtieth wedding anniversary, and we were going to go traveling. They stole all that. I had speaking all over the north of Atlanta, all over the place. I had a big travel plan. COVID stole it, and then I got sick. On top of that, I was sick for ten weeks. I was scared for you, Doctor Drew. I really was. When I look back over the text, when people were very nice and supportive, but are you scared was a common one. And I, and I when it, when I was sick, it didn't register. I didn't even understand what they were talking about. And then as I started recovering, I'm like, oh, that is the strangest thing for people to say to a doctor who knows that the risk of mortality is 1%. One, when a doctor says 1% of anything, he or she is telling you, don't think about it. Don't worry yeah. about it. If they say 10%, you really don't need to worry about it. It's uh, when they say 20%, that's when it starts to be an issue. And, and one of the things that uh, caught my attention when I was sick was that we spend way too much talking about the morbidity of this thing, which is unusual unless you're a lot older, but the, the excuse me, the mortality associated with it, but the morbidity, the injury and the degree of suffering and the, um, the, the intensity of the illness, no one really talks about that. And 20% of people particularly as, you know, middle age and above, really get into trouble with that. And I was one of those people. It, it's it's an impressive illness from a morbidity standpoint. And uh, rather than arguing about the mortality and what the risks are, we should be focusing on the morbidity. And we don't even know the full long-term effects, right? Yeah. So I, 
So I had this um, you know, long hauler syndrome where I felt like I'd been through some sort of traumatic brain injury. It's really what it felt like. And I started thinking, huh, well, this could increase your risk for dementia. Traumatic brain injury increases your risk for dementia. Maybe this stuff does it too. So yeah. it concerned me. You got it, but your wife didn't get it. Didn't get it. She slept with me. The, she was right beside me the whole night. I got sick, fevers, chills, and woke up. And she went, uh-oh. And then that was the last I saw her for a while. But, <laughs> but she, did, she did not get sick. And, and uh, my son got it. And he just happened to be the guy that was sliding the eggs under my door every day. And I, I told him not to. And lo and behold, he got it. He might have gotten it because, you know, I got it on Christmas Eve. And I'd had dinner with my whole family that night. And um, he's the only one that got it. Very interesting. And the, the other weird experience I had... I was COVID negative PCR and antigen rapid antigen testing for the first four days of the illness. I was not officially a COVID case until essentially day four, day five, when I finally had a positive PCR. And that that last night before I had the PCR was the most unpleasant night of the entire experience. My, my physician brain kicked in and I started obsessing about what I might have if this isn't COVID. I've been negative for oh, I know what this is. This you turn it be. When you're a doctor, you always think of the worst. You you're either in denial or you think of the worst thing when it comes to you or your family. And when, that's why we that's why we don't take care of ourselves or take care of our family. We lose our capacity for judgment. And I immediately started thinking, oh I know what this is. I have acute lymphocytic leukemia. I'm going to need a bone marrow biopsy in the morning. It's okay. Get used to that. That's what's coming. You're going to be in negative COVID. Then they're going to send you for bone marrow. It's all right. Relax. You know, like, doctors are crazy, too. Myself. Doctors are crazy, too. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> I had to stop being. looking at WebMD for that reason. You know Don't do I mean? it. Don't do it. WebMD. I love you guys. Shout out to WebMD. The symptoms tracker was so nice when you click on the body board and you just click all the things you have. But for a paranoid person like myself, yeah. it would put me down a rabbit hole. Yeah. And, and the, the, the thing is, people mistake Google searches and, you know, what information you can get off the web with the judgment and experience of seeing the thing you're reading about there a thousand times. People don't understand this. You go to doctors not for their fund of knowledge. That, that goes without saying. What you go to that individual for is for the application of his or her judgment for you in your specific clinical syndrome based on their years of experience, having seen this thing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, what's the right call for you in that clinical situation? And people think it's informational. It's not. It's, it's an experiential judgment that, we, that we're applying. Anyway. You know, everyone's talking, started talking about telehealth. Oh, my God, you can get to a doctor on a webcam and it'll yeah. be fine. Da, da, da. Do you believe that, you know, telehealth care works? I do. Well, I mean, if you're trying to do intensive psychotherapy, that only goes so far. But in terms of evaluating uh, general medicine, we, I, I've been practicing telehealth for a long time. I, I, I do probably 60 to 70 percent of my work is done on the telephone because you, you, know, you know the patients and you're just trying to get certain kinds of information. I remember my dad, who was an old family practitioner, used to say to me, he goes, you know, your most important diagnostic instrument is your ear. Listen carefully to what they're telling you, what's going on, ask questions. And he's right. And I, and by the way, my care while I was sick with COVID was all through telehealth. And one of the things that drove me insane, if you watch my Instagram series, I did, I did Instagram lives every couple of days while I was sick, was how little information was being given to patients to help them stay out of the hospital. And one of them was how to use telehealth. 
The other was, you know, when should you use steroids? When do you use monoclonal antibodies? What other options are there out there? How, what should you be asking your doctor for? Nobody did any public health messaging about that. It was crazy to me. Oh my God, that's so insane. Yeah. I'm going to have to really sign up for this telehealth. Um, <laughs> I really do need to start doing it because I love to see a doctor in person. I want to see their reaction when they see something. Like I need the whole experience. Well, I'm, you, you're right. And, and you can only, you, you have to do a physical exam at a certain point, but a lot can be done through telehealth. You, you, it's, a, it's like I said, the ear is the most important diagnostic instrument and you can get a lot done that way. 100%. That's one been one of the good things of COVID is that it's lowered the threshold for people going for help. The whole Zoom experience for mental health treatment, which you can yeah. do a lot through Zoom too. Not everything. That also is something that has to be, you know, done in person where there are two bodies, you know, in space relating ultimately. But you can get a lot done with the Zoom meetings, and people have, you know, they've been going getting more help, and we've seen more, obviously there's more symptoms because everyone's isolated and depressed and anxious and freaking out, reasonably so. But the, we have so many people dying of overdoses and suicides. And I mean, this is going to be a huge and this is going to go on for a long time, particularly in the late childhood, middle and young adolescent population. That group has just been hurt so badly by this. And my biggest beef is with the the public health officials and how they manage things in California. Their, their behavior and their decision making has been just I can't understand it. You know, I was very involved in treating AIDS patients and I was very involved in messaging around the AIDS epidemic. And we learned there's a whole discipline that developed around how to how to change people's health behaviors. How do we get people to wear a condom? How do we people that you know not have an indiscriminate sex? We had a problem on our hands that we really needed to take care of. That was a at that time in the mid early mid eighties. That was a one hundred percent fatal illness. I'm not one percent, one hundred percent, and it was an urgent problem. And we learned across that epidemic that um, the way to change behavior is the following. You create a relatable source, somebody that you can relate to, the, the population we're trying to reach. We tell a story about that relatable source, a narrative about that person. We show the consequences of their choices. And so you learn from the narrative. And then we throw in some humor and music. That's it. That's how you change behavior. That's how you do it. Instead, what we've done is shelter in place. You you talk you talk to somebody, you're killing your grandmother. I mean, it's the exact opposite of what you do to help people in a healthy way. It it was so astonishing to me that we threw out literally 40 years of understanding of how to change health behavior and went into this weird mode of, I don't know what we were into. I've never seen anything like it in my life. It was crazy. You know, it was seriously nuts. You know, I often wonder because we're going to see like people lost family members. They lost, you know, all of these loved ones to this disease. Mm -hmm. I want to know because, you know, I find that gay men in their 50s or 60s are living with something that we will never, ever imagine. And that's the heartache of losing friends by the dozens. Oh, listen, Justin, I'm glad you brought this up because this is an opportunity to hearken back to that period. I I always feel like there's no one around to tell that story. It was, I mean, breathtakingly sad. It was unbelievable the the amount of loss and pain and grief and extraordinary humans that we lost yeah. the, the, the pool of people that just vanished and i always felt like there was no one left left behind to tell the story i mean i i just felt like it just there's no one those of us that were in there taking care of the aids patients remember it but they're all gone 
There's no one to tell yeah. that story. It's bad enough, as you say, to have been a gay man around that time. But those that had it, none of them around to tell the story. No. Yeah. And it's funny because the friends who have survived it don't really like to talk about it. Yeah. The, I mean, I, I don't like talking about it. It, it just it, it, it gives a I, I literally it takes my breath away. It, it was really sad. And I, I understand they don't like to talk about it. It's, it's almost like entire communities disappeared. I mean, there, yeah. and with and if think about it, think about your life. When you lose a community like that, you lose your life. Right. Part of your life goes with it. And I think that's why they don't like talking about it. It's painful. It's grief inducing. But it's also like it's almost like a piece of them got lost with it. I'm sure. Well, we, well, we think about COVID that way. You got to remember, in terms of years of life lost, ah. years of life lost, COVID took primarily. I'm not talking. Of course, there are some young people that died and some people who had 20 or 30 years of life left, left to live that lost their life. Tragic, tragic, tragic. But primarily, COVID took from us people that had less than five years to live, maybe less than four years yeah. to live on average. And, and as opposed to 50 years to live or 60 years to live, uh, which is what was happening during the AIDS epidemic. That, that's what made it so much more tragic. Ugh. Let me ask you a question. Why are we as a society, and maybe, maybe I'm dumb, you know, I feel like the government is rushing to find these, you know, vaccines for the COVID virus, yeah. yet we've been living with HIV for the last 30 years, you know, and HIV has been around for 30 years, yet there's yeah. no rush. Justin, you, you weren't around when this went down. And that's what I'm wondering. Yeah, the the HIV was one of the most miraculous stories in the history of medicine. With within five years, we had isolated a new illness, figured out its epidemiology, figured out the causative agent, and began with effective treatments. And within ten years, I mean, they, look, it took us a thousand years to figure out what syphilis was and how to treat yeah. it. A thousand years, and in this wow. ten, ten years to take it from a 100% fatal illness to a disease you could live with as a chronic state for many, many decades. That was unheard of in the history of medicine. Now, in terms of vaccine therapy, they've, they've tried. Believe me, they've tried. Uh, I don't know whether this, all these new technologies will change our relationship with HIV and AIDS. I suspect not because it's such a different agent, causative agent. But yeah. maybe it will. It'd be nice if it did. Maybe it will. Mm. Uh, what about these kids that aren't going to school right now? Disaster. I, I, Disaster. I, That's I, what we're going to look back. Socially, they are going to be, I would hold my children back. I would seriously yep. hold my children back too. a year and say, F it, you're going to be 19 when you graduate high school, but so uh, half the country. So you're just right. going to have to deal with it. So when we look back at this, we will see school closure as the greatest misadventure of the entire uh, pandemic. When you look at countries that had severe lockdowns, I can't find any that locked schools down more than two months. We were the only country that I can find that locked down for months and months or years like we've done. Then we've taken kids at their at their prime developmental stages. Imagine you're 14 and you are taken away from your peers. You're so you're supposed to be developing the capacity for navigating social situations, navigating with your peers. We stop that development and then we say, don't go near your peers. If you go near your peers, you're killing your grandma. You'll kill your grandma yeah. if you go near your friend. I mean, 
we are seeing social phobia go through the roof. We're seeing anxiety disorders and panic go through the roof. I, I have a friend that's a child and adolescent psychiatrist, and she, I go, what are you seeing out there this last week? And she goes, anxiety, depression, anxiety, depression, anxiety, depression, anxiety, depression. It's out of control. And why does, like, the public health, you know, care, you know, organizations, why aren't they – you know, looking deeper into what this may have on kids. Because if I was the Dr. Fauci of California and my, you know, situation was a unified school district of Los Angeles, the first thing I would say is every parent who has a freshman, sophomore or junior, we are holding your child back for one year. Seniors, you can decide if you want to go another year or you can go ahead and, and move on. But I feel like we all as a state or as a country should give ch children that chance to go back and redo that year. Why is no one thinking about the deeper impact that it has on children and their social, you know, constructs? Completely agree with you 100%. And, and then what are we going to do with all the mental illness that we have created? How are we going to treat that? It, it is a mess. Uh, and it seems like they can't adjust course. Like they, they can't, they can't seem to respond to multiple priorities simultaneously. It's like one priority, equity, equity, equity. That's it. The vaccine is vaccine. Gets and then I was like, well, what about schools? Let's get the schools open. Why can't, it's not equitable to just destroying these kids. So let's, let's put the teachers in the, in the, as one of the priorities we want to get done. Let's get them done. Uh, we, it's not equitable. It's, a risk, uh, it's like, oh my God, they can't adjust course. It's, it's lockdown or nothing. It's shelter in place or I, they just don't – it feels like they don't have the capacity for risk-reward analysis. It's just so – it's uncanny to me. Again, this is all mysterious to me that how, how my, my peers have lost their mind. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. What's the worst thing you think we're going to see come out of this pandemic in the next 5, 10, 15 years? Well, I'm, I'm optimistic. You know, I'm generally optimistic. And I think a lot of good things will have come of it. You know, Zoom meetings, Zoom telehealth, you just talked about. Yes. Zoom mutual aid societies. So a lot, a lot of good stuff will come. I, I do believe the pent-up demand for socialization is dramatic. And you're going to see people out and moving and going to, you know, traveling. It's going to be intense by summertime, I suspect. So good things will happen. The bad things will be the socioeconomic disparity that everyone claims to be so concerned about will be worse. The impact of school closures will be worse on the risk populations. The mental health consequences will be, well, to be fair, they'll be distributed all over the place, but no plan to deal yeah. with that. And, and uh, I, you know, we're seeing 90,000 overdoses so far in the last 12 months. We're seeing fentanyl up. We're seeing substance use up, alcohol up, suicide up. Anxiety, depression, up hundreds of percentiles. I, I, <laughs> they better be preparing up. for that pandemic because that's that's going to be as serious as the virus. My alcohol level was through the <laughs> roof. You know, mine was too for me. I don't like it. I don't like alcohol. but I, I don't was, like I was, it. Well, I had a weird experience. I had a very strange experience with my COVID, which is once I kicked into long hauler after about a month, I really had bad neurological symptoms. 
and they get relieved about 89% with a single glass of white wine. I have no one, I have wow. no one else that reported that. I have no idea why that was the case, but I would feel significantly if I had a glass and a half, okay. Two glasses, no, too much. It was very weird. It was very strange. One then, white lady okay. Chardonnay and you were good. Dude, call me Karen from now on, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so, you see, mine was like yours, but it was one bottle of Chardonnay. That would ease my pain. And I found myself, I would go on a long walk, two-hour walk, two-and-a-half-hour yeah. walk. I would yeah. come home, and I would crack open a bottle of wine at 12 o'clock, yeah. drink half the bottle of wine at 12, eat lunch, take a nap, do a little bit of work, go back outside at five o'clock and justify that it's a pandemic. I can have a bottle of wine a day. Do you know what a bottle of wine a day That's not feels good for like? You. That is not good for you. I, I have, I have, I've seen a half a bottle a day show up on people's lab, you know, liver profiles. So it, it's, it's a, it's a concern and you're not alone. It was very, very, very common during the pandemic. And some people truly lost control. Some people don't realize that they are in this cycle because we're like, oh, we're saving money. You know, we aren't going out to drink. We're not having three drinks at dinner. But if for me, it became an issue when the Bevmo guy knew my first name. That was that was that was (laughs) that's a sign, my friend. That was the first red flag. The second red flag was really funny. Oh, I gained so much weight. And on top of that, the feeling of being wine hungover every day or four times a week is it's depressing. It's depressing. depressing. Yeah. You get depressed from that. So, so what was going on with you romantically? Did you have a relationship through this or did you, were you alone? No, I was alone. I was, I was alone during the pandemic, which for me, Dr. Drew, I have to be honest. I think had I been with somebody else, yeah having to manage someone else's feelings and their, you know, pandemic would have been a lot Mm. for me being along alone during this year was honestly cathartic. Mm -hmm. And it was a blessing for me. Did you date? Did you date? Yeah. yeah. Like I, I dated, I had like, how how do you manage that? I'm just curious during the pandemic, was it, you know, with masks and across the table or did you worry about it? Did you do antigen testing on people? So my first six months of the pandemic, seven months, I never saw another person. Well, that, and think about how insane that is. Think about how insane it was that our mayor told us to shelter in place. When he said shelter in place, I live on a little compound. I live in a guest house. Mm-hmm. And the people in front of me, the two houses in front of me, I've known them for 10 years. We've been close friends. So I kind of sort of had the perfect situation where if I wanted people receive. I wanted a roommate. I could just cross the yard and That's see nice. people. They have dogs. They have kids. Nice. It was nice. Around month seven, a man has needs. And I started what? seeing, yeah, yeah, you know, you know what happens, Dr. Drew. And I just reignited old flames <laughs> that I didn't have anymore that were just as paranoid as me or working in a situation where they would have to get tested as well. Okay. Good. So I was getting tested three times a week. They were getting tested twice a week. They had, you know, families and other things that they needed to stay healthy for. So I kind of found somebody who was like-minded, who wanted to hang out maybe once or twice a week. And we had a really good run. So that's how I kind of managed. That that sounds very sensible. Yeah. But to be in a romantic relationship with somebody right now. I I mean, I, but I mean, I consider your dating 
how you manage dating to be your romantic life, right? And so, and I like the way you did that. Yeah. Now, I was seeing somebody before the pandemic started, and we were so fresh in that I knew we were long distance, A, and B, mm-hmm. I just knew at that moment, like, I wouldn't be able to keep up with your emotional demands. Not only that, but the long distance just makes it impossible given shelter in place. You know what I'm saying? It makes it impossible. It's, good. it's, it's actually, knew, I think, kind of, ma- kind of mature to go, hey, it's like, uh, not now, not in this. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, did I break it up the nicest way? No, I probably could have done it better. Uh-oh, what'd you do? But- <laughs> what'd you do what'd you do what'd oh i just do? burned it to the ground i just burned it to the ground but you know we're still friendly and we still talk oh that's but funny. he wanted to come here and he was living in new york at the time and i was like oh my god this is crazy like i can't yeah. like you're yeah. in the hottest spot in the world like, right what are we gonna do but and just think about the fact i was looking at some of the numbers just yesterday in fact and when new york when you look at the outbreak in new york the the hospitalization went through the roof with people that shouldn't have been hospitalized and had adverse outcomes because of the hospitalization. Yes. And the actual incidence of the illness was significantly lower than it was in Los Angeles during our big surge this summer. Isn't that interesting? No, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. And and then they had a then in New York the second surge during our big surge was significantly worse than the one that that seemed like the end of the world. It was way worse, and they managed it. They managed it. It's really kind of interesting. Yeah, it's just interesting how our relationship with this illness and how at first it was just panicsville. Think back. What happened during the summer, I think people started really experiencing the common, more common manifestations of the illness, which is that it's usually kind of mild. And I think that's what settled everybody down during the summer. I, on the other hand, during the summer, I started, or in the early fall, I guess when the vaccines came out, I started desperately looking for the vaccine because I thought, oh, I do horribly with viruses. This is going to beat the crap out of me. I know yeah. it. I know it. And I could feel it kind of closing in on me. I just knew it was all around and uh, you know, treating patients and stuff. And pow, got it. That was it. It hit you. Damn. Are you? Damn. The people who look. I have friends who are like, I don't know. I don't trust the vaccine. I don't think I can do the vaccine. I'm like, honey, I've seen you do worse things. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's, here's the thing that I look at with that. People that are hesitant, I would ask you, please, we have to, we have to reduce the reproduction of the virus, right? So let's say you get it and you get a mild illness. Yes, you're not going to be reproducing a lot of the virus, but you're going to be part of the pool of the virus reproducing. And the more the virus reproduces itself, the more likely we are to have mutations and variants that are able to get around the vaccine and the immunological reactions of people like me, where I feel quite secure, I'm I'm immune against the COVID I had. But if some variant comes along, I don't I do not want that. Thank you. I don't want I'm done with this thing. And so uh, please, everybody, if you're on the fence, you, you have a communal responsibility. We have a responsibility to reduce this virus from reproducing in all of us. Yes, you might be, you might be 50 years old and a very low risk. I are 40 years old. I, I get it. Yeah, I get it. But the risk to you is actually worse with the virus, even at 40 or 50. And the risk to the rest of us is a lot worse. So please, on everyone yeah. else's behalf, get that vaccine. Are you still having long-term effects from a little bit? I still got ringing in this year. It's though it's it's better now. It's pretty. It was really intense for a while, and 
and I still have some word finding difficulty and I still need to sleep a little more than is normal for me. But uh, I, I've been sort of back to normal. I, I, I'm, I, I can't tolerate my exercise tolerance is down a little bit, but it's so, so much better than two weeks ago. I, I mean, I, I went to New York uh, last week. And I had a very, very, you know, I, we did Teen Mom reunions and all this stuff. And I had a, I did Oz's show and had a very intense production schedule where I was working like one day, 16 hours. And I was able to do it. And if it had been the week before that, I would not have been able to do it. It kind of scared me. I thought, oh, thank God. I know it was sort of euphoric that I was able to do it. Like, I, I got this. And, yeah. and I still was destroyed the rest of the week. <laughs> I still had to rest the rest <laughs> of the week. And, and then and then this this last week, I was sort of back to normal. So I know you're going to hate me saying this because I doubt it. you've been I doubt through it. the fire and back in the 80s with everything that happened with yeah. everybody. But I feel like there's going to be a sexual revolution where people who haven't been touched or yeah. who have been sleeping with the same person that they didn't want to sleep with, but they were stuck in a house with for the last year yeah. are going to break out the house yeah. and yeah. want to throw their thing on everything. And we're going to be seeing all these new strains of, of STDs and craziness. Oh, could and be. Pregnancies. All and right. Could be. I, you might be right. So here's how I think that's going to go down. I think, I think your, your general impulse is correct, but millennials are, are very circumspect. First of all, they were very much affected by Me Too. So all the males do not want to be seen as being exploitative. They will not talk to a girl oftentimes if they're drinking or the girl's drinking. It's They're very concerned about being misunder, misread, you know, what their intentions yeah. are. So there's a lot of, you know, I, now maybe that all break out, you know, as people's, you know, their pent up social, I mean, you're, you could be right. They may just break out of that. What is happening, it's funny, I heard Joe Rogan commenting on this yesterday. He was saying, he goes, you want to talk the big inequality in our culture right now, it's it's the who gets to have sex inequality. Like there's certain people that are just have access and they're, they're yeah. super hot or whatever, and they're the ones doing it. And everyone else is sort of everyone else. And there's a big disparity there. And I thought he, he's kind of on to something. He's it, probably more profound than he even realized. I think he was just talking about yeah. th that there's a disparity between hot people and not so hot people. He was shooting <laughs> Yeah, but but I really think he was kind of onto something in terms of there are some people that are going to be breaking it out, and others that are still going to be sort of affected, and worried, and concerned, and anxious. And and let's remind ourselves that's in the setting of us being worried about infecting each other and being uh, absent, uh, sort of let's let's say rusty socially. You know, yeah. we've not had this capacity. Now again, this it could explode. It could all of a sudden just go boom and just bring it out, break it out. And, and I think I do think we're going to see some of that. I just don't know how much that that's what I'm sort of interested to see. Let me tell you guys right now. Yeah. If you are a six, if you are if you're a strong five or six like myself. Truth. Preach. Yeah. If you're a strong five or six right now, like myself, and you get that vaccine, there is a window between when you get that vaccine and when everybody else gets that vaccine, where you're automatically you're, a 9.5. <laughs> ah, so you better need with, okay, I might like be that. a six <laughs> with this vaccine. I, I like, I, lo I, love it. I love it when other things come into the assessment of people's numbers. You know what I mean? I, it's so it's good. It's good when we get to move up and down the scale a little bit. Oh, for sure. During Black Lives Matters, had it not been during a shut-in, I, a six, would have moved up to 9.5 because everybody wanted to be seen dating the black guy to let Fantastic. people know that they were you, down with play, the car. Play that card. Keep it going.
Keep it going. Oh my God, keep I'm going to keep it going. I'm going to yeah. keep it going. But what you're seeing right now, especially on these dating <laughs> profiles online, is people saying vaccinated. It's like the new thing. Like, uh, oh, you know, you know, have you had have you been tested? Uh, have you been blah blah? Like, yeah. you know, that was the whole thing. Now it's vaccinated, and now that I person. Dig, I actually kind of dig that. I dig it. I, I like that people are paying attention to that. It's good. Oh no, you have to. You have to because, by the way, Doctor Drew, if I hadn't made it this far without COVID or booty call, I'm definitely not going to risk it right now. Well, it, is, it is a little weird, isn't it? Now we're getting right to the finish line and people are like, screw it, I'm out. I'm done. You know, Texas opens up, Mississippi opens up. So that's it. I, I can't take anymore. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Texas show, Texas. Is... Well, we'll see. We'll watch those numbers. Let's watch. I mean, maybe they timed it right. I don't know. Who knows? You know, don't be, be very careful of being dogmatic with this virus. Everyone's been wrong and guessing on everything. So we, we should, if anything else, we should get a healthy, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Hum- humility when it comes to making calls on this virus. I mean, for God's oh. sakes, a variant, a variant could take hold and be another problem, you know, and a whole other surge. There's going to be a class action suit against every government official based on the fact that they made us wipe down our groceries for <laughs> nine months. Like, <laughs> The mo- yeah. like the thought of me wiping down yeah. a bag of peanuts, like I am right. so mad at myself for listening to that. Right, but I'm happy that I stayed safe. So I don't know. Am I yeah. more happy? Am I more pissed off? I I, I am more pissed off uh, because I, I would be more happy if I got an apology from them. You know, we were doing our best. We were making our best guess. We were trying to keep you guys safe. Made a huge mistake there. We shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. And, and that would that would change everything. But did anybody? I mean, in your professional opinion i feel yeah. like no politician could have done it right during no time. of course not of course not somebody asked me this morning what would i do if i were in charge of health care for the federal government and i said the first thing i would do was educate people about how medicine works like we're going to make mistakes we're doing we're we applying our judgment we will update our priors as we learn more but expect us to make mistakes and i would just keep saying that and if you remember Deborah Burks was sort of going down that path. She was trying to educate and stuff, and they just kind of put a cat lid on her. Yeah, they blew her off. But but I would have started with that. I would have because because otherwise they lose they lose faith in what you're saying. They think you're lying or no. I got it wrong. I got it wrong. I was trying. I I thought I understood. I don't. I've updated my priorities. Let's move forward. That's medicine. That's how it works. Dr. Fauci is winning. He might be GQ man of the year. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, from the very beginning, always said, listen to watch him as your North Star. He, he was my, you know, he's the reason I went on the radio. Do you know this? In 1984, Anthony Fauci was a major figure in the HIV epidemic. And he was telling us, no. some physicians, telling us to go out and educate because we were trying to figure out how to change the behavior. And he said, you got, you got to get out there. We're going to, he kept saying to us, you're going to have 2 million dead, 2 million dead if we don't do something. And he was predicting publicly, he started predicting 2 million dead, but he was telling us, unless we change, unless we change to educate, educate. So when I first went on the radio in 1983 uh, and we just started calling this condition AIDS, we had just stopped calling it grids. Uh, we didn't have a causative agent yet. You know, we hadn't coined the term safe sex yet. But here was this opportunity to talk to young people, and they seemed to know nothing about it. I was I was shocked that no one was talking to young people at the time. That was one of my big reasons for saying, hey, can I come back and keep doing this? And I, yeah. I did it one night a week for 10 years thinking I was doing community service. Meanwhile, you're becoming Dr. Drew. Meanwhile, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's way, funny. Whoever, whoever, whoever. Called, you have a coined no glove, no love. 
yeah. should win a yeah. Nobel Peace Prize. That was a good one. That was I don't remember who did that. I, yeah, that, that came much later, much later. When um, they decided to put that love line, the radio show on five nights a week, that was the same week or a week before my wife became pregnant with triplets. And she then said, okay, no more community service. Get your, your, it's a job now. You're out of here every night. So, so I like, okay, I guess you're right. So, oh my God. Pregnant with triplets. Mm-hmm. How old were you? 32. Oh, okay. So, you, I mean, who times. would have flipped me out at 32? It, it, it flipped you out at any age. Trust me. Trust me. It's intense. The thought of having a cat, Dr. Drew, scares the living shit out of me. That tells me you're a healthy person. You're doing good <laughs> self-assessment. That's good. It's just, I Listen, I could not have raised a lizard before the age of 28 or so. Really. Like, no way. No way. Damn, yeah. Dr. Drew, this is nuts. <laughs> yes, it's nuts. I'm scared for everybody. This uh, The Roaring Twenties, like I understand now what the Roaring Twenties really meant in because the Prohibition of the 19, days. You think it was the 1918 flu that drove that? Yes, one hundred and thirty percent. Because I, I, I right now, myself. I got my whole gear like ready to go. I got my jeans. I'm ready to go out. I have yeah. summer plans. A bitch mm-hmm. is gonna kill somebody to get the vaccine and steal some steal somebody's identity. I think people are gonna be so ready to get out of their homes and kiss and love and hug that we're gonna see. We're gonna see. We haven't seen DUIs in a long time. We haven't seen all these things. I feel like this bubble is about to burst and it's going to be great, but it's also going to be terrible for people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in my, I completely agree with you. It's just in my mind, I'm just wondering how long I'm wondering if it's going to be just this summer, if it's going to be the next decade, I, I can't oh. figure it out. I can't figure it out because we might sort of, you know, we might sort of burn out very quickly with it. But I think, I think the, and travel too. I think people want to move around. They, they, you know what I mean? They want to move. They want to get out and do things. And I think that's going to go on for a while. You know, I always love talking to you because you never shy away from from the real issues. And check out drdrew.com so you can find everywhere Dr. Drew is speaking the truth. And Dr. Drew After Dark is my (laughs) Y'all need to get with that. Y'all need to get with that all the way, okay? Oh, my. That's a funny one. You guys, thanks for listening and do not forget to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And you can follow me at The Lady Sitter and be sure to come back every week for another pour of your favorite celebrity.